Well, folks, it is official. Uh, Seattle is the least religious large metro area in the United States. I discovered it earlier this week. My mother-in-law sent me that article as well yesterday. It's reported by the Seattle Times. Uh, This was on February 29th, just a few days ago, 2024. I'll summarize it real quickly here in a paragraph. It says, says, a clear majority of adults in the Seattle area, around 64%, never attend church or religious services. Think about that. They never attend or go less than once a year, which includes King, Pierce, and Snohomish counties. Did I say that right, Snohomish? Is that right? I guess I'm officially a Washingtonian. <clears throat> what may be surprising to folks in the Seattle area, though, is that the rest of Washington, listen to this, is nearly as non religious as Seattle. Statewide, 63% never or almost never attend religious services. That's just one percentage point lower than the number for the Seattle area. Well, obviously, we've talked about in the previous sermon about just the changing religious landscape. The 25% drop in attendance from roughly about 70% uh, to 2000 to down to just about 50 to 50, 45% church attendance just nationwide within America. Um, you know, for Washington State, this is nothing new. I've, I've, we've talked about this before. They just don't attend church. Um, but what of those that do? Okay, for example, how do you find a true church? If you're looking for a church, how do you know what is a good church? What's a true church? Okay, and this is this morning what we're going to talk about. This title of the sermon is called The Marks of a True Church. Okay, and we're going to begin with, um, can you do me a favor, Frank? Can you turn this on so I can see it? Um, a church history lesson. Okay? Real brief. In the early centuries of the Christian church, <coughs> excuse me, there was obviously little controversy. Right there. Oh, my gosh. Look at this. What is this? Someone else put this in here, too? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those peeps. Peeps filled ropes. Oh my God. They're marshmallow flavored. They're soft inside, chewy outside. If you also, it says here, if you also expose them to heat, you can wipe them on your car and your car will shine like a peep for weeks. Don't tell me you even want these ropes. Are you serious? Oh my gosh, then where do you want to meet with you afterwards? I got to pray for you. <laughs> Ready? You try it yourself? There you go. Peep filled. Are there any else in here? I'm waiting for the anointing oil that's made of peeps. Hey, you take that and melt it, right? And yeah, anoint that, so. Oh, she's eating them. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Oh, God. We do need to pray for Colette. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back to this. So, The second hardest thing you have to do is transition back to something serious. Okay. Well, think about it. The early centuries of the church, the Christian church, there was obviously little controversy about what was a true church, right? 
there was a worldwide visible church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, and deacons. And again, last week I said what? There's the visible church, what you see here, then the invisible church, it's the true church. In other words, let's just assume that not everybody in here is a believer in Jesus Christ. Only God knows the invisible church. I can see the visible church, okay? But over time, as the church strayed from sound doctrine, a version of the church evolved into what is now known as the, excuse me, the Catholic Church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church. And by the time of the Protestant Reformation in 1517, there two men arose as leading figures. Who were those two men? Martin Luther and John Calvin. Okay? And the crucial question that they wrestled with uh, back in 1517 and so on was, how can we recognize a true church? Because they rebelled against the dominant church of their time, which was the Catholic Church. This led to the development of what we call the marks of a true church, distinguishing characteristics that lead one to recognize it as a true church. Uh, To be sure, Scripture speaks clearly of false churches. We know that. Uh, The pagan temples referenced in 1 Corinthians 12.2, or the synagogue of Satan in Revelation 2.9. But what about churches that aren't so easily identifiable as false churches? And this question led to the Lutheran statement of faith in 1530 called the Augsburg Confession. If you knew that, I've heard of the Augsburg Confession. I didn't, or I learned it and forgot about it. But in this confession, you'll find that the church is defined as this, okay? This is the Lutherans, or the Augsburg Confession, define the church as a congregation of saints. And again, the word congregation here is what? A church or assembling together of people like we're doing this morning? Uh, To do what? The gospel is rightly taught. And what? Sacraments are rightly administered. That's what the Lutheran statement of faith, what Martin Luther and that group came up with. Now, John Calvin, again, a Protestant, familiar, you would identify him with the Presbyterian Church and Reformed churches. Um, He said, wherever we see the Word of God purely preached and heard, which is the same thing as the gospel being rightly taught, and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there is, it is not to be doubted, a church of God exists. Okay? That's pretty simple to follow, right? So, one of the first things that you're looking for then is what is called biblical preaching, okay? So I want to break this down even more for you this morning. And so according to these men, uh, the marks of a true church is the word of God is taught rightly. That's the first point. Now, we could reward that and say that sound doctrine is preached from the pulpit, or reword, we can reword that and say that sound doctrine is simply preached from the, prof, the pulpit. That would mean that there'd be no peeps anywhere, okay, in the pulpit. Now, certainly, if the Word of God is, is not being preached, but simply false doctrines or doctrines of men, then there is no true church. Now, you're going to take three tests this morning, Okay. I'm going to show you a video here in a moment of a pastor preaching, and you tell me if the Word of God is being preached. Okay, here is the building for this church. 
okay? This is East End United Church of Canada in Toronto. Okay, now it's a building, right? And the first sermon I did on the church is that the church is not a building. Okay, it's a collection of believers together. It could be a small group. It could be the church in a, in a region, in a church, in, in, of, generally speaking, of the world, okay? So this is the building, and it looks like this, and this would be what we would call a church. It says, this do in remembrance of me, the, the communion table, okay? Um, it, I can't read this. Unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. So see all that, okay? And a, a traditional older church, you can see with the, by the design of the building, those are, I think, organ pipes, correct? Okay, yeah, the typical church that we all kind of grew up, maybe seen, maybe not attended, but have seen and so on, okay? And if you can get the video ready, that's video number one. This is Reverend Brianne Swan, and she is teaching, I think it's only about a minute or so, um, of this sermon. So go ahead and put that first video up of her. And the ark is an old, old myth based on other old, old myths coming out of Mesopotamia. And this particular flood story emerged in its current form approximately five and a half centuries before the birth of Christ. God sending the waters, leading to the utter decimation of all fleshly creation, was an incredibly violent act. And I like to think, I like to think that this covenant is God changing their mind. That perhaps God eventually came to the conclusion that killing everything and everybody just caused them way too much sorrow and heartbreak. And that God's own heart was softened enough to consider that there must be another way. Now, to be clear, describing the story as myth is not synonymous with saying it is untrue, because this story has many truths. We can take this story seriously without taking it literally. Eventually taken up by Christians, this story has been taken very, very seriously. And it... Okay. Now, again, by outward appearances, it looks like what? A church, right? A building with pews and reverends and a worship director and so on. If you look at their website. Um, but she was not preaching the word of God, was she? No. Here's another clue that this is not a true church. This is, um, now, this is the same person. This is not a different person that's preaching. I think that this is either an earlier picture of her or probably Photoshopped, right? Because, you know, she looks like AOC, Alexandria Oscuro Cortez, okay? But look at what she puts up there. What's she identifying as? In other words, she has to identify as something, okay? As if gender is what? It's fluid. Even though you're binary, right? It's just male or female. Obviously, they're not thinking that way, which makes sense because here's another final clue that just isn't a true church. They have what they call our affirming mission statement, um, I think I put it up there. Did I? I think I did. Okay. We declare publicly our commitment to creating a community where people of all ages, genders, and genders they mean what? It's fluid, so it's anything that you want it to be. Okay. Races, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions, 
differing abilities, cultural backgrounds, spiritual beliefs, and economic circumstances are welcome. All persons are welcome to take part in every aspect of church life, including membership, leadership, and celebrating life passages. We celebrate the richness that diversity brings to our church, even as it challenges us. We, for God's Spirit, to guide us as we work for reconciliation and justice for all persons in both church and society. Now, there is a lot of, there is some truth in that, that even in this church, everybody is welcome. We do not reject anybody. Because the simple fact of the matter is, is that this church is full of, of which I am the foremost, sinners. Okay? And we want to be reaching out and setting people free through the power of God's word, through the gospel that is proclaimed, that they may find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Okay? But if you are a Satanist, for example, who would be welcome here, do you think they're going to be allowed to preach from the pulpit here? No. In leadership anywhere? If you're a, a, a pedophile, can you serve in the children's ministry at the church? No. Here you can. So that's just a simple test, right? Pretty simple, pretty easy, okay? That would not be the true church. In fact, if it's not the true church, then it's a false church, or would be better defined as a religious organization, okay? So pretty simple, right? I gave you a layup, that first one. Well, here's another clip, this time from a different church. On this church's website, you find this on their, their homepage. I'll put this up here. Um, yeah, this is the, the couple. Uh, and it says, greetings and praise the Lord. Welcome to the website of New Bethel Baptist Church. Uh, it was established in 1887. Here's the, the building, a typical building, right, that we would see growing up. There's some buildings like this around Auburn, okay? <laughs> Um, the New Bethel Baptist Church continues to be a beacon of light that illuminates the grace, mercy, and power of God as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So now we have something completely different from this affirming church, right? It sounds good. Um, I love the grace, mercy, and power of God as fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. Uh, they would probably, I, I didn't, you couldn't tell by their website, but, but in terms of what they, they believe, but I'm assuming that they would believe in the two sacraments and so on and, and whatnot. Now, I want you to tell me if this church is the true church. If we can put slide number two up, this is the Reverend Dr. Mark M. Whitaker of New Bethel, New Bethel Baptist Church. This is in Portsmouth, Virginia, okay? And the sermon was introduced as a word from the Lord on John 8, 9 through 11, and here is John 8, 9 through 11. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up and said to her, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir, she answered. Well, then Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, but do not sin again. Part of the sermon title is she answered, which is why that is highlighted. If you can go ahead and put number two up, David, of about two minutes of this pastor preaching. Where's the volume? 
I don't care how pretty you look, how made up you look, how degreed you are. I don't care how much money in the bank. I don't care how many connections you have. I don't care how high you think you are. You're still a Negro in America. Well, it ain't about funny. Oh, oh, the lynching wasn't just about the person that was hanging from the lynching tree. And all the lynching was a message to the community to let us know that there go you if you don't stay in your place. And some of y'all black folks, when you see us being lynched, you think it's some legitimacy to us. You think we've done something. Because you're chasing the phantom. You think that we can do something to always be included. You know, that thing was racist because... They were trying to act like black women can't have cash on them. And I know being around black women, y'all carry cash in some strange places. I seen y'all. I seen you reaching your bra. I seen you do it. She said, I got this money through my Blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that the father showed up. Because when the father showed up, let me know that Bonnie said, my daddy named me. <laughs> my daddy, who was part of the Black Panther Party, not the Black Panthers of Bobby Seale and Huey Newton, but another Black Panther party that he was part of. He was Afrocentric, and he gave her the name Farney, which is Swahili for prosperous. Now, you need to understand what he is uh, saying here, okay? And this is, who is, of course, the question, who is Fonnie Willis? She's the what? The district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, Willis investigated the 2020 presidential election in Georgia, which resulted in the, and this is, I put this up now because this is all over the news. You haven't watched anything about this. Um, the questionable indictments against Donald Trump and the 18 alleged co-conspirators on charges of racketeering and other crimes. Uh, this sermon has been characterized, and I, I didn't know this term until this week, uh, as black liberation theology, but the title of the sermon, and this is not a joke, okay, it's based out of John 8, 9 through 11, is she answered, I highlight those words, she answered the gospel of Fonnie Willis. And what was he saying about her? Remember the reference to the money in the bed that, you know, that she had and so on? Let me remind you, that this is what the Bible says. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he used to be what? Accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. He, they are, and there are other, there's a whole montage of other pastors that have revered Fonnie Wilson and what she did standing up and pushing back against uh, 
the other defendants and prosecutors with what she did there at Fulton County and so on. She was a victim, is what they're saying. Is that the true church? Why? They're preaching what? A different gospel. A different gospel. Okay? Now, they can take the sacraments, they can practice church discipline, all that stuff. But if you're not going to rightly preach the word of God, okay? Now, it's not just me. This is all over the Twitter and so on in the, the religious circles. Um, and others say this, that is not the true church on all uh, races. This next video is of this man. Uh, Dr. Phil Kidd of Emmaus of Kingsport, Tennessee. Our statement of faith, they write in their uh, website, can be found in the Bible. Because one of the first things you do when you're looking for a new church is you want to find out what they believe, right? The church should have in your website a statement of faith and so on. And he just puts, it kind of in a smart way, what can be found in the Bible. Well, that protects them, but I mean, you can kind of twist it any way you want. Anyways, it says, we adhere to the principles of the word of God as our doctrine of faith, believing that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified on the cross, died, buried, and rose again three days later. Those who put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus are born again. That all is perfectly biblical and sounds good, right? Well, this is about a two minutes or so of his sermon back in, I think it was February 18th or 25th. Can you put that sermon up there? Shame on a lizard tongue, good for nothing, watered down. Mama called, pop. Some time ago, brother Adam, I had a man from a very large church call me, and he's my friend. And he contacted me not long ago, and he said, I'd give my right arm to have you come preach at our church. He said, you preach the way I was raised in that kind of preaching. All my life as a little boy, we sat under that roll up your sleeves, foam at the mouth, hell, fire, brimstone, exalt Jesus preaching. He said, nothing would thrill me more than to have you into my church. But he said, there's a problem. Think about this. A Baptist church. He said, 80% of my congregation are social drinkers, including my deacon board. And he said, I'm afraid if I brought you in, you would say something about drinking. I said, I would. Dad, come right, I would. I'd blow it to hell and back. I'm telling you, ain't no man got a right to be on a deacon board sucking wine, drinking liquor, you bunch of beard-guzzling, pot-bellied pigs. You need to resign from your position. You don't even deserve to be a member of a church if you're a social drinker. Nothing ever good come out of a liquor bottle. Every drunk in the world started out a social drinker. And I don't care if every church in this state says it's all right. I know what that Bible says. It's a fool. It'll make a fool out of you. It'll make a mockery out of you. And until God changes his mind, I'm not changing mine. Shame on a lizard tongue, good for nothing, watered down. Mama called, Papa sent preacher that's afraid to preach against sin because of a deacon board. He ought to stand every one of them up. He ought to call them out by name and they ought to church them. They ought to throw them off the deacon board. Would you like me to preach like that? Because if I did that, you'd have to resuscitate me because I would pass out. Okay, I, I like how the, the, the passion and the, and the intensity, even how the, the Reverend Mark, his intensity with it he preached, I, I like that stuff. But I was like, I, I, I'd fall down, I'd pass out that intense. 
behind the pulpit if I were to speak like that. Now, <laughs> yeah, he, he could have. We should have put that there. Now, obviously, um, drinking. And it's not just getting drunk. You didn't mention that. It's what? Social drinking. So if I go out to eat with my wife and I have a beer with a steak, I'm a social drinker, right? And according to him, I can't be there. I can't be on his board. I would be brought up and I would be... Because why? Drinking is, is a sin, right? Is that what the Bible says? No. Do not get drunk with wine. That's dissipation or debauchery. You lose control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? What's he going to say to Jesus? Because what did Jesus do? He turned water to, to wine. Now, again, am I advocating for people to drink? No, you need either freedom to do what you want to do. I would call you on it as a sin if you are drunk, because what happens? You don't get drunk. That's the sin. To socially drink, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if there's a history of, say, alcoholism in your family, and it's been passed down for generations, it's not wise for you to drink, right? All of that. So, is that a true church? I would say yes. That's a Baptist position, he's, you know, and he's saying what? He's not a Baptist church, but he's a Baptist pastor, and they don't drink, dance, or smoke. Are those really serious doctrinal issues? No. no. Are, are he, is he denying the deity of Jesus Christ or any of those things? Is he preaching another gospel? No. no. Is he denying the Bible? No. Is he wrong on that issue? Have I been wrong? Maybe. Yeah. But you could say a lot. Okay? I know I'm right about peeps. And all you godforsaken peeps eating people, excommunicate you, get you out of here. But you see, I mean, I, I, would I attend there? Probably not. But is that a church? It is if they do what? Well, they're, they're preaching purely the word of God. Okay? And, and there are... If you take a strict definition of what I've shared with you so far, but what's the true church, then you're going to have a very narrow view. Okay? I'm assuming then, if they preach everything else right, for the most part, and they observe the sacraments. Okay? And so I'm just trying to keep it simple for, for us as to, okay, I'm looking for a new church. What is a true church? What is a good church? Okay? If he was preaching a different gospel, which is why I put that one up there, then that's clearly wrong. If you're going to deny the Bible and say Noah's Ark is a myth and all that, okay, then you're not teaching the Word of God at all. That's not pure preaching. Then that's not a church either, okay? He's taking verses some amount of context, but so anyways, let's go on to uh, the sacraments, okay? This is the second mark of a true church. The pure administration of the sacraments and the two sacraments that Christ himself instituted are what? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Lord's Supper, which is what he said, again, take, eat, this is my body. Okay? 
Drink from it, he says, all of you, this, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And I think we need to understand something about these sacraments, because we continue to struggle with sin. We have a sinful nature that imprisons us in many ways, even though we've been set free from it. But in the visible word of the sacraments, it supplements the pure preaching of the audible word of God. As the preaching of the gospel creates faith, the sacraments confirm that faith in us. So to purely administer the sacraments, a church simply does it as instituted by Christ. This means that there are only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and therefore a true church rejects the five other sacraments that were associated with and abused by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, baptism is a, to be administered, and this is just so ridiculous that there are issues within churches about forms of baptism. <laughs> it's simply with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a church building or at the beach or in a bathtub. It doesn't matter, okay? Whether it's done in front of a, in a font or in a pool, whether it's performed by sprinkling, pouring, or immersion, or whether the minister sprinkles, pours, or immerses once or three times, that is indifferent. It doesn't matter. It's just the baptism. And of course, what is baptism? You've been placed in Christ. You go under the water, in the water. That's what? The cleansing of your sin. You're brought up, and you are now what? A new creation. Okay? It's a symbol of an inward change that has taken place within your heart. Okay? The Lord's Supper, again, it's purely administered when bread and wine are given to those who profess faith. They're members of Christ's church. It doesn't matter if you kneel, sit, or stand. Okay? Now, there's one other mark of a true church, and it's this. It simply is called church discipline. Okay? Matthew 18, 17 says this. If he refuses to listen to them... Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, a Jew to whom he was speaking to would not associate with a Gentile or tax collector. They were considered unclean. So you remove fellowship from someone who will not cease from their sin. Okay? So you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, then you go to them with somebody else, and you bring it before the church. Now, a person is brought into the church by what? The preaching of the gospel, right? Then we want them to be baptized in order to the Lord's command. But believers are, they're continually nourished uh, and, and grow, um, and at times disciplined in a positive way by the continual pure preaching of the word of God and the administration of the Lord's Supper. Now, what does discipline mean? Well, through biblical preaching and the use of sacraments, believers are convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit and repent, which is why we quiet ourselves before communion. You examine your heart, and what he convicts you of, you confess before you take communion. By these means, church leaders can carry out what's called a positive form of church discipline. It is positive in the sense that members are encouraged, they're built up, strengthened through God's appointed means and messengers. Now, there's a other side to that. 
There's a discipline that is negative. It involves the punishing of sin in those who are unrepentant. And this is what is known as the power of the keys that God gave the church or the officers of the church of Christ. That we may exercise the divine right to include or exclude those whom Christ has commanded to include or exclude. So all those peep-giving people to me are in the, what, danger of being excluded, right? No, think of Matthew 16, 17 through 20. Just listen to this. Or 17 through 19. And Jesus said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is his declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you, here it is, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so the keys, the power of the keys, is not just a visible proclamation of the word of God, just as the sacraments are visible preaching of the word of God. If the church fails to exercise the power of the keys, it cannot be said to be a true church. Okay? It, God's church is to be holy. It cannot tolerate sin. And so what we see in the Bible is people that, who bring sin into the church and are repentant, they're to be confronted, and if they don't repent, excluded. This is what happened in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter, 1 and, chapter 5, verse 1, and verses 4 and 5. Here's Paul writing this church about church discipline. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Deliver him to Satan. What does that mean? He's out of fellowship in the church. Okay? In hopes that what will happen, he'll see the error of his ways, repent, and then, then very quickly be brought back into fellowship with the church. Because discipline, church discipline, it promotes God's holiness. And it protects the church from corruption and division. Do you remember the seven churches of Revelation chapter 2 and 3? Remember those? They all had issues. Except for two, I think. Church discipline restores the rebellious, making clear the seriousness of the resistance to Christ's word in the church. Now, here are some other points to consider when looking for a church. Is you want to find a church that has uh, genuine worship, okay? Now, this isn't necessarily a mark of a true church, but you want to find something like that. So I want to put up for you, this is the worship leader at Crossroads Church, where he interrupts his sermon for a halftime show. You put that up there. This is the final video. Okay, at Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. This was controversial.
That is their worship service at Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is the, the tame part of it. Because I think at this, yes, this, the song that they were singing, they interrupted the sermon, and they're singing because it's a halftime show, because this is, I think, their Super Bowl service, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, they performed uh, the cover of a Miley Cyrus song, then leading the congregation through Garth Brooks' famed drinking song, I've Got Friends in Low Places. No, this is the actual church service, okay? You can watch that. Now, prior to that, and I think it was the same service, I, I'm not sure, this one bothered me a lot, and I didn't put it up here, but it bothered me a lot. They had on that stage, uh, because it was Super Bowl Sunday, people dressed in the, the Chiefs in the 49ers gear, and they had a group of people on one side, and another people on the other side, and they had a guy or a person, well, guy or gal, holding a Bible like a football, and they would go up and they would kick it like you're kicking a field goal. And they would take turns doing that. I can show you that video. You seen that? Anybody seen that? It's, that, it's this church. And this is what we call, uh, uh, this is an affirming church, okay? It's certainly not a Baptist church. <laughs> I don't think Dr. Phil Kidd would feel very comfortable there, right? This is an entertainment or attractional church, okay? 34,000 people go to that church, um, I put that up there because it was a pretty blatant example of you want to go to church that, that really truly worships God. Okay? There was 34,000 there, yeah. This church was started in 1995 because the pastor wanted to start a different church. Didn't like the way church was being done, so he started a different church. Pastor Brian Tome is his name. Okay? You want to find a church that is devoted to prayer, as you can see? Because why? What did Jesus say his house was? A house of prayer. Uh, as a focus on evangelism, that you want to find a place you can get koinonia, it's a word, Greek word for fellowship. You want to get real genuine fellowship. Uh, personal holiness, that certainly wasn't the case with I've got friends in low places, a drinking song, right? And that cares for the poor. Those are things that are more or less the signs of a, of a pure church, okay? Now, in closing, I mean, how do I sit there and, and kind of wrap all this up and give you something you can remember? I would say that this would be the best thing I can tell you is that when you're looking for a church, that in essentials there needs to be unity, in non-essentials liberty, and all things charity. Let me explain this. This is a saying of Rupertus 
Modinius, and it, we think it strikes the right balance. It calls for unity on the essential things. What would be the essential doctrines that you want to check out before you vent, visit any church? Do you believe in the, the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What else? The deity of Jesus Christ, he is God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay, the virgin birth, some sort of second coming, doesn't matter when or, or, or whatever, but there's a second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? The right use of sacraments, obviously, you want to see those two listed, hopefully, okay? You should go and check their sermons to see if there's preaching the Word of God, okay? But in those essential issues, um, you know, the core of truth in our union with Christ, okay, there has to be unity. In non-essentials, like drinking, okay? Not the unimportant, but those things that, if lacking, do not prevent our union with Christ, it calls for liberty. That's freedom. So that all might follow their consciences under the word and spirit. In all things, however, there must be love or charity, because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's my suggestion to you of the marks of a true church. And so obviously you want to choose to worship in a true church. You have all different kinds of churches that are out there, okay? I thought it would be good for us just to know, okay, well, what is a, historically and biblically, what is considered to be a, for, for thousands of years, of the true church? What are the marks of that? And so I'm just giving you a basic understanding of that, okay? And then there'd be an addendum that would add that there are no peeps in a true church, okay? That's right. <laughs> lots of chocolate and lots of uh, Nancy soft cinnamon rolls are in a true church. We all know that, right? So, why don't you stand with me? We'll close with a song. Lord Jesus, as we come before you once the final time and sing with you with our voices, thank you for this morning. And we pray that you have been glorified, that the, we've learned more about what it means to be a true church. And Lord, make us that. Show us where we are in error, and show us and encourage us where, what we're doing right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.